You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I am Stefan Heinrich Simont. I'm a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts, which is pretty much everywhere. You can find us like pretty much on any platform. I get an email weekly from some kind of completely unknown podcasting service that says, hey, claim your podcast on here. And I'm like, who are you even? <laughs> as long as there's one person out there using, you know, whatever it is, Z podcast or who knows. <laughs> Does that exist? Is that a thing? I'm sure there's something, right? As Wherever you can find us, you can listen to us across the airwaves. Yeah. Podcast castle. <laughs> there we go. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I, I don't know whether it exists. <laughs> yeah, we should be trademarking these. <laughs> and if you like this show and want to help us make it happen, then you can do that by becoming a Studying Pixels Plus member, because there you will get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You will get a lovely sticker that says, I am studying pixels. You will get monthly plus episodes. Sometimes these go into video game culture. Other times they actually help you study. This month we have one on the rise and fall of visceral games. This is the last week where we will be promoting this particular one. Next month we have a new one, but who knows? But one important thing that we definitely need to mention is that this weekend is the last one where you can still join Studying Pixels Plus and have your pledge entirely donated. Because in March 2022, we're going to donate all of the proceeds from our Studying Pixels Plus membership to Red Cross Ukraine. Because this war, it must end. And even though I'm not deluded, it will probably not anytime soon, unfortunately. But we need to do what we can in order to help people. So if you're curious and you want to find out more, then head over to studyingpixels.com slash plus. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's time for some Elden Ring in our main story today. A game that... You have been playing very extensively, and I have been playing at least quite a bit. Shall we briefly talk about <laughs> the extent to which we've been playing this game? Yes, we should, because you're you're selling yourself short. Because yes, I've I've played it. Oh, probably I would say 130 hours all told. Okay, and I think 
since it's since it's launch i think that's fair to say i think across like different characters that i've created my main character i've played for about 85 hours i think so i've i've spent a lot of time in elden ring that's for sure and you you have also spent a lot of time i've played roughly 40 hours 45 hours maybe of elden yeah. ring and uh, i must say i'm always super slow with these things i make such slow progress mm. i explore so much, especially in a world such as the lands between an Elden yes. Ring, which just is so rich and vibrant that it invites basically endless exploration. I will say this. This is the first time in a very long time that I can remember where I got the platinum trophy on the PlayStation 5 and I wanted to continue playing. I still want to play. I'm, I'm breaking into uh, Ghostwire Tokyo right now. But even as I'm playing it, I'll take little breaks and say, I want to go play maybe an hour of Elden Ring because it's just that enticing. We had, for example, you and me, a wonderful multiplayer session uh, yeah. last weekend, which was also for me a completely new side of exploring Elden Ring. And it was so nice. It was also so nice playing with you, Dan. It was so wonderful to just explore the area a little bit, to give it to some bosses that I had been banging my head against for quite a while. <laughs> uh, that was just wonderful. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I hope we we keep doing it because I think this game we've we've joked about it before in previous episodes, but this game I think is going to be around for a long time. I'm reminded of how uh there's a lot of comparisons to make between Elden Ring and Zelda Breath of the Wild, but I am reminded of the longevity of that game where it's still a people a, a huge community of players finding new things in Breath of the Wild. I don't even think that'll stop when the sequel comes out. And I, I fully anticipate Elden Ring will be played for the next five, six years. Certainly, especially when they come out and add more content, more than yeah. is already there. The thing is that Elden Ring has a very interesting position, I feel. It comes, it's a game developed by From Software, so very experienced studio, the Dark Souls series, most notably, but also Bloodborne, uh, Sekiro, right? Mm. And this is a very high, uh, highly experienced and kind of niche studio that delivers games that are for a profound difficulty. Those are games that have always been praised, and I experienced it as such as well, that will challenge you and teach you to be calm in the face of adversity. I mean, it's a joke online, I think, at this point, but from software games, I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, but the whole get good culture of, you know, how do I beat this game? Well, you just have to get better at it. It's a joke, but it's it's kind of what they've based their whole ethos on. And it's shocking to me, in a good way, that Elden Ring is so popular. I mean, I think it was, uh, I think, 12 million copies in the first two weeks, which is an unbelievable amount, especially since I think they were, I think FromSoft and Bandai Namco were projecting 4 million in the first month. Yeah. So uh, an unbelievable success. And it's really, I, it may just be from word of mouth and how popular it is online and how many memes are being generated from it and how many people are playing it. But this game more so than the other From Software titles has really captured the general public in a way that they haven't done before. And it's exciting. Totally exciting. I would say it has literally broken the internet for yeah. at least a whole, for roughly a month. because. The thing is that Elden Ring 
takes this from software formula and merges it with ideas from Breath of the Wild, for example, this like very open world exploration. It doesn't hold your hand. You can go pretty much anywhere and uh, bang your head against any boss that you want. <laughs> uh, but also you can go into another direction and, and, and try and train and level up a little bit. By being a little bit, I'm, I'm not going to say uptooth, but be, by being intransparent, by being deliberately mysterious about how its mechanics exactly work, about its world, its lore. I think by giving away not too much information, it has kind of spiraled completely out of control. Where then it released, people were anticipating this, but then it released, it received 10 out of 10 ratings, and then it was shared everywhere, and then even people who might not be interested in From Software games in general might think, oh wow, this is really something. When people like Jason Schreier and other highly renowned video game journalists come out saying, this is one of the best games I've ever played in my life. Yeah, I think it, there's a lot of pull there. And the first big question that I wanted to get into with Elden Ring is you mentioned all of those 10 out of 10 ratings. I remember the day, the day or two before the game came out, the review embargo was lifted. And we were joking about how it was just a wall of every single outlet giving it a 10 out of 10, 5 out of 5, 5 stars. Perfect ratings from everyone. and. Stefan, you and I have been in the business of playing video games for a long time. When that happens, sometimes you get a little leery, don't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> the overhype is something that has burned us before. It has, especially because Elden Ring had been, I think it's been announced a couple of years ago in yeah. this thing of like a huge, like From Software's this new ominous title, Elden Ring. And then we know, we learn, okay, so George R. R. Martin is involved. I have some questions regarding George R. R. Martin in a moment anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously very high profile author as well. And you think either this is going to really blow up or they're going to completely belly flop on this one. Yeah. <laughs> and they've just, they just did it. They pulled it off. They, I think delivered on pretty much every promise that they had made yes i beautifully so and i think it's a testament also to you mentioned the kind of mystery that from software has when its storytelling i think they also had that with its development because it was announced i think directly after sekiro which was maybe two or three years ago and after the announcement there was nothing it was just it's a collaboration with george R. R. martin it's going to be open world, and that's as much as we're telling you. And for a very long time, we didn't get anything. Then the game came out, and it's fully formed. There's no... I mean, of course, there are some minor issues here and there that you're going to run into in any gigantic game, but there's no microtransactions, there's no pending content. Everything is there in Elden Ring in a way that I think has really made it a, a great experience for people, especially who haven't played a From Software game before. Because now we're seeing, oh, games, they take their time, they get everything out there, and I'm having a really great experience from day one with this game. This is what you want to deliver, especially if you want to grab people that are, or have thus far not been your, your target audience. Right. If you come into a game, and I remember... Um, a person that does not really play all that many video games um, 
purchasing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, including like all kinds of DLC and extra content and being super let down by the steep price in comparison to what these additions and add-ons and DLC would actually be worth when it comes to adding quality to the game. Whereas in Elden Ring, you have this thing, you purchase the full price game and you know that's it. I mean, there's going to be more coming, of course. We can safely assume that will be the case. But this is a game that in itself is super worth playing, even though, I must say, I have been a little bit on the fence about this 10 out of 10 issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, go on, because I was, I was just going to say that I know that you are uh, notoriously with, withholding, I guess, about your perfect scores that you give yeah. to games, right? Yeah. I actually, only once in my life, when I was still working as a video game journalist, did I ever give a, that was a 100 out of a 100, a full score, that was for the game Journey. Mm. And the reason was that I was not able to think of a single thing I would change about this game that would make it better. Now, with Elden Ring, that is not quite the case, because I can think of things with Elden Ring that might make it better. May I complain just briefly? Yes, because I, I have some complaints too. So I, oh, yeah. maybe we should say <laughs> this is largely going to be us gushing about this game, I think, yeah. because there's a lot of beauty and really incredible stuff in here. So we'll put a pin in that, all the beauty, and talk about some things that bother us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about things that bother us and upset the whole internet, basically, <laughs> by <Yeah>. doing so. <laughs> because if you lift that kind of rose-tinted veil, then there are things, there are flaws in this game. And for example, and these are these seem really nitpicky, but just as an example, what bothers me about Elden Ring is when you go to a trader and you look at kind of new equipment, new weapons, and such kind of things. You can't, at least as far as I'm aware, properly compare the stats of that to the stuff that you already have. Like, you, you can't see, okay, so this helmet will be better than the one that, I'm, that I have, or this other helmet that I have in my inventory. You just have to either, either you do the calculations yourself, and there are a lot of stats to consider, or you just go by, you know, just kind of a little bit of guesswork, being like, yeah, overall, it doesn't seem all that much better. So that's kind of a caveat where I think this would have been so easy to implement. And why? Why wouldn't you? You know, it's it's funny because I feel like Dark Souls, all of these games, they have this moment where you can get through the entire game with the base equipment. And it's really difficult. And But you can you can do it. And then maybe on your second playthrough, at least this is what happens to me. It happened to me in Dark Souls. You'll kind of slowly understand the stat system and how scaling works. And then you'll say, wait a minute, I could have made this so much easier for myself if I just knew about these stats. And so I am a little surprised with you, actually, that there isn't that option to kind of make, make it more intuitive from the start because there's so many pieces of equipment that, you know, I think it would it would have benefited it from having just a little more transparency there. Like, this is better and this is why. This is better and this is why. And this, by the way, is how scaling works. Because this is not... Right. Like, the the scaling of... That means, basically, the weapon... If you have a weapon, if you have a... Let's say you have a sword, then it might... It scales with different attributes that you have. For example, strength and dexterity. 
And the better the scaling of the sword is, that means the higher your attribute is, the more, the stronger your sword will be. It would be nice if this was explained in some form in the game, because I don't think it is mentioned anywhere ever. No. <laughs> and you know what? The thing so. is, I, I realized this especially because I came directly from Horizon Forbidden West. And there, mm. they are all about such convenience features. There you can, when you go to a vendor, you can not only compare the weapon that you're about to buy with the one that you have, you can actually select different things that you have equipped and compare them. And you can even say, okay, but now show me the max level of my weapon and that weapon so that I know whether it's worth to maybe invest in a weapon that at first is weaker, but if I level it up, then will become much stronger. So... That's, of course, that's a paradigm very much of transparency, and it can be overwhelming with all the stats, but a little bit of that convenience in Elden Ring would have been good. I think that the it's it's part of the the way that they teach you by doing, but the frustrating thing about that is that because the game is so massive, you often feel like you made the wrong choice early. You know, like if you... Because resources are limited and any particular playthrough. So there are certain items that can upgrade your weapons. And I definitely felt from time to time, oh shoot, I wasted those items on this sword or on this weapon because I didn't realize that it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't have a better scaling option. And so then you find a weapon where it's like, oh, the scaling is like uh, at level zero, this item has a scaling for dexterity of S. So this is clearly the best weapon that I could use for dexterity and I lost all my items. So I either have to go and grind a bunch of other upgrading items or I just have to wait for the second playthrough <laughs> to yeah. get them all over again. And it, it's a little frustrating because you almost feel like, oh, I, I feel like I really made the wrong choice and now I'm stuck. Mm, that can happen pretty easily. That's yeah. Annoying. Yeah. I also must say, I don't at all like the fact that the rune distribution, to be transparent here, runes are kind of like they are like souls right uh yeah they are i the, call them souls <laughs> yeah they are the yeah. soul the, the currency that you collect that you get for defeating enemies and bosses and then you invest it to level up and every time you level up it's going to require more runes and i feel elden ring to be fair i'm not far in only my casual 45 hours <laughs> but uh the game is getting kind of stingy with its runes I defeat an optional boss, for example, and it turns out I have not even half of what I would need to level up. And I'm kind of like, okay, so how many bosses do I need to kill <laughs> in order to, to make it one level now, you know? I'm, I'm very thorough, and I, I'm doing a little bit of casual grinding that kind of just happens automatically on the side. But still, the distribution is a bit rigid, I feel. The game is so wide open. There... There is a huge power creep issue that you run into, I think, pretty quickly. Because even if you just, if you progress normally, the rune distribution, as you say, it stays pretty linear for the most part. And then there's a very particular point where, okay, all of a sudden it's kind of doubled up now. And now you feel like you're, you're getting more levels. So I think on the one hand, it, it really encourages exploration because it's like saying, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're not getting, you're not progressing very much level wise. Maybe you want to try Kaled. <laughs> Maybe you want to go over to one of the, the harder areas, right? But on the other hand, if you're stuck on a boss, 
the grind can take a long time. So it just kind of comes down to, you know, what's your play style and what do you want to, what do you want to focus on? I suppose. Yep. But I will say a couple of other things that, uh, that I have some complaints about, and then we'll we'll (laughs) jump into the, all the amazing things that Elden Ring has. So two very quick things, uh, from software, just let us pause just let us pause the game, please. Uh, whenever we, we, whenever we want, just let us pause. I know it has something to do with the multiplayer, which I'll get into, but it is so frustrating with this beautiful, gigantic game that you can't just say, all right, give me a second. I need to get a drink. <laughs> yeah. Something. Just yeah. yesterday, this happened to me where I was interrupted while playing and I quickly ran into like an area where I thought there were no enemies and I hit the pause button out of reflex. It opens up this kind of overlay menu, but it does not actually pause the game, of course. And then I had a conversation and then like five minutes later, I came back and I was like respawned at the the site of (laughs) grace, basically, where you basically respawn points and had all my runes lost. I was killed in my absence. That really doesn't, that's really not necessary. No, and I think my understanding is that it's tied into the multiplayer function, which I have so many... Listen, the weakest point of any From Software game is the multiplayer system. We experienced this firsthand when we spent, I would say, almost equal time figuring out how to play with one another <laughs> that we did playing the game. So I, I don't want to get into all of the the minutiae of how the system works, but it's very obtuse, it's very esoteric, and I think that one of the things that I would hope From Software develops in their next title is an easier way to just play with a friend. Because it's such a exciting... We had a great time playing together, and it should be easier to do that. It was absolutely beautiful. You have to imagine... We have like we both were as samurais exploring the area. We took a walk across a lake and were completely thrashed by a gigantic dragon, even though we thought we could make it. Yep. <laughs> uh, we ran into bosses and and slashed them down, even though I had fought against them for so many times desperately. And we were invaded by another player and actually managed to defeat them. Yeah. And in an exhilarating fight, I might say. I, I found it so impressive that it is almost a shame that it's gated behind such a weirdly and unnecessarily complicated amount of steps that you need to specifically follow. I wouldn't even understand, if you wouldn't have given me instructions over voice chat while we were playing, I wouldn't have understood exactly how you can even join just from the in-game instructions. Because they had like you get like eight different multiplayer items that you can use. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, okay, so what do I need to summon now? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think uh, it, we're, not, we're not breaking new ground by complaining about it because every FromSoft game has been like this. In a lot of ways, it's really innovative, the way that they do the multiplayer, because it's, it's hard to create a world like this and offer that so on the one hand i understand it's very difficult but at this point hopefully the success of elden ring will mean that they put a lot more time into the next endeavor to make it easier because that's been a huge complaint that i've seen yeah and that we've exchanged complaints now and i think they're all very reasonable and valid it might be that throughout the my my playtime a couple more will be added to the mix 
Mm. This does not make it a trashy game, not by a long shot. It is the no. reason, though, why I would say, um, I thought, do I would I give it a 9 out of 10 or would I give it a 10 out of 10? And I thought eventually I'll give it a 10 out of 10. If I had mm. to rate it on a 10-point scale, I would give it a 10 because it is absolutely astonishing, fantastic, and engaging in every way that truly matters. If I had to rate it on a 100-point scale, though, I'd mm. give it a 98 because... Of these minor issues, I do think they can be fixed. At least you could add in, for example, some way to, you know, um, make the equipment comparison a little bit more, uh, a little bit easier. Or they have actually added things for convenience in patches already. Like when I started playing, you didn't have, you have a, um, a world map over time that you can collect and you didn't have much indication of, where anything is really, unless you set markers yourself. By now they've added icons so that you can see where a vendor is, so that you know if I want to visit a specific vendor, I can just look on the map and I can see, oh yeah, that person was there. So they are working on it and adding features of convenience, which is why I could see it improving even further. I think I would agree with your your scores exactly, because I would give it a 10 out of 10, and I would give it probably a 98 or a 97 out of 100. And I think that uh, I, so I, the bulk of my playtime happened before any updates occurred. So I, I got the, <laughs> the raw, you know, 1.01 build or whatever it was. And I will say that I'm excited to continue playing it because those quality of life things that you mentioned, like putting NPCs on the map makes me want to go and see quests that I might not have completed because playing it to begin with, it was so wide open and so, uh, so mysterious that there weren't, there weren't hints on, if you met somebody who began a quest line, you didn't really know what to do unless you just ran into them randomly in the world. And that was on the one hand exciting because, oh, okay, I, I want to go and see this person or I want to figure out in their text if I can figure out where they're going to be next. And usually you can, but I will say it's nice that they show up on the map now. <laughs> <laughs> just so that yep. you can find them again if it's like you need to return yeah. this item uh, and it's like i don't want to like search the whole world just for that one rando that's standing around somewhere yeah that being said the writing of the characters that you do encounter is absolutely fantastic i praised this in my own impressions last week already i think and uh i was just stunned i mean from software always had amazing writing i'm not sure to which degree this is due to george rr R. martin's involvement but the writing and the performances of all characters I've encountered so far is absolutely impressive. One of the things that I, I took away from it was, so Sekiro was very narrative-driven in a way that the other Dark Souls and Bloodborne games were not. You know, Obviously, they had their strong narrative, but it was something you had to piece together. It wasn't very clear. Sekiro is very much a, a story with characters, a plot, and things are clear to you while you're playing it. And something that they, they seem to have taken from that experience is the robust dialogue in Elden Ring. All of the characters, even if you don't understand where they're coming from or who they are, they have a clear voice. They have great voice acting. The writing is superb. It feels like this is a world that 
has been lived in for ages and everyone has their place and you almost without needing to look into it much further you understand characters from the get-go i i think of the the character Margit, which is the first real boss that you fight, this is a, a character who you can look into his lore and figure out what he's doing, but his dialogue in the fight really entices you on your quest to become the Elden Lord because he's mocking you and he's saying, oh, a tarnished with some fighting ability. Wow. You know, oh, I've never seen this before. And it's, it's so mocking. It reminded me of certain bosses in Sekiro who... That game is so hard, but the taunting of the bosses makes you want to go back and really show them what's what. Yeah. <laughs> and lots of characters in Elden Ring feel that way. Mm, it is so wonderful. I've been wondering all this time, what's the role of George R. R. Martin, though? Uh, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing is that he has, he's, they have a close cooperation, apparently, or they had a close cooperation for this game. George R. R. Martin is very much advertising and promoting this game and there are uh, i would say very close parallels between the philosophy the design philosophy of from software and the narrative conceptualizations of george rr R. martin as in mm. any character can die at any time you are never really safe and there's this you know this red wedding kind of shock moment that you have when when a, a boss just suddenly plops out of the ground and completely clobbers you to pieces while you thought you could carry your precious runes home. So <laughs> I, think, I think there is a similarity there. But mm. playing Elden Ring, you, I at least so far haven't been able to detect anything that would say, oh yeah, that was something that wouldn't have been in a previous From Software game and was probably an inspiration from George R. R. Martin. From what I understand, because I looked into this, I, I've heard differing things about his involvement. And from what I understand, he created kind of the mythos of the world. So the, the Golden Order and characters like, you, you hear these names in the opening, like Radigan and Radon and uh, Mikola and, and all these different names. I'm pretty sure he kind of developed how they, he knows the history of how they interacted with one another. And so he kind of came up with that lore piece. But to your point, I think that I'm not as I'm not a huge Game of Thrones fan. I really don't know anything about it. Um, but I do know all of the big tropes. You know, no one is safe. Things are uh, things are meant to be more realistic and parallel history a little more than say a uh, Lord of the Rings might. And I think that that feeling is palpable throughout the world, where you run into these characters that they've been kind of left by the wayside they understand there's this legend of the tarnished rising up but they don't really know what it looks like and everyone's just kind of waiting for something to happen <laughs> and that that kind of uncertainty and and feeling that death looms around every corner my understanding is that that's a very george r, r. martin kind of trope and i think it just it marries so well with the from soft ethos Maybe it's a, the biggest compliment you can give it that you can't detect any such distinction. You can't say like, okay, so this was clearly George R. R. Martin and this was clearly Miyazaki. Yeah. You know, it's like instead this is all a very integrated whole, a whole piece basically, a delicious cake where you don't <laughs> distinguish its individual ingredients necessarily, but it, the overall flavor perfectly comes together and the lore, the characters the history of this world 
super interesting. I love it. Yeah. I find it amazing, especially because it's presented in such a like very frag fragmented way and you learn over time. But you get this sense of, it's a sense of a world that is completely doomed. Where, as you said, everything's at a stalemate. Everyone kind of seems to wait for something to happen, for a tarnished to come along and become the Elden Lord. That's at least mm. <laughs> the point where I'm at. <laughs> it just makes for such an enticing world to explore with its beautiful uh, tree. Beautiful, uh, what, what is it? The Erd the tree. tree. The yeah. Erd tree that basically functions like a, a sun, kind of almost. It, yeah. It's, it's bright rays are shining all over the place. An absolutely gorgeous game. Wow. I, let's talk about the open world for a while because yeah. I think that this is something that it's being lauded for and, and rightly so. So I, I think that this is the most fun I've had in, a, in an open world since Breath of the Wild. I think that's fair to say. And it, it's a comparison that's fair to make because Breath of the Wild understood that exploration is the point. So you want to be rewarded with your curiosity and Elden Ring does that in spades. So it's, it's a game where you can, you can go everywhere. If there's something you think you can do, chances are you can do it. And on top of that, if you go and do that thing, there's going to be some kind of tangible reward. So whether it's an item, um, a summoning item or a spell or something that maybe entices you to try a different build or put stats in a different, I'm sorry, put attributes in a different stat. Um, there's all kinds of ways that this game drives you to look in every nook and cranny, which I think the only other game I've ever played that made me feel that way was Breath of the Wild, where I want to explore every inch of this massive world. Yeah, and I, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm exploring every inch of this world, and I find it so impressive that wherever I go, I always find something engaging. It can be, just to give you, just to give you a brief example, it's like you see this, let's say, tower on a, on a cliff in the distance, and so you head towards it, and on your way, you find an old abandoned church which you go into and fight an optional boss there who's yeah. surrounded by rats if you want to and <laughs> get a little bit of an item and then you go on and you find a statue and it points you in some kind of off direction where you wouldn't have organically traveled but then you find oh there's actually a door in the wall so you go into a deep mine shaft and you spend the next three hours fighting against a completely overwhelming enemy it just has this organic flow where I can confidently jump into Elden Ring and I know it will always engage me, it will always be interesting, and it will be almost always rewarding, I'm going to say. Because, admittedly, a whole lot of time I work my butt off fighting against a huge boss and then I get some kind of uh, gigantic weapon that doesn't fit my build at all and just yeah. goes into my inventory. I'm like, maybe sometime, maybe someday, yeah. but not now. That day has not come yet. I will say, yeah, because I, I had that experience pretty frequently because I, I played as a uh, as an astrologer, like the the mage build, and so often you would get an item and you'd say, I can't use this at all. But thank you for the gigantic say, axe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say that the and this is something that FromSoft has always done, which is a boss will frustrate you so much that just beating it is a reward in and of itself, and that is. 
that is so hard to do. But I feel that every boss I fought in Elden Ring, I felt real accomplishment when I would beat it. So I think that one, one other thing that I want to mention on the open world, because this is a subtle thing that I think open world games get wrong a lot, and why I'm comparing this to Breath of the Wild so heavily. One of the things that made Breath of the Wild so exciting was that the bad thing had already happened. Calamity Ganon won, and you're living in a world where it's everything's kind of gone to pot. And so there is something so nice about that in an open world where you feel you don't feel like you're pressured for time where the narrative of the game is you have to defeat this person because something horrible will happen. It's it's at odds with your exploration because you almost feel pulled in two separate directions. Whereas Elden Ring says, yeah, the world is kind of already, it's doomed, like you said. And there's no rush in becoming Elden Lord because we're not even sure if you can do that, you know? Yeah, that's it's so, so true. It's so, yeah, it's such a subtle difference, but it makes a huge a change in how you play this massive game. I hadn't noticed that. That is such a such a precise observation because yeah, in such things like Fallout, it's like mm. your family is abducted, your your wife has been killed, your son <laughs> has been abducted, but there's another settlement that requires your help over there. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, do you want to explore over here? There's a nice item. And you you're so right that Elden Ring just doesn't kind of hold that gun to your head it basically just says this is the world for you to explore tarnished and uh, do whatever you desire good luck yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> another exciting part of this game to me is that it really rewards your different play styles mm. there's so many it's almost a joke in from software games that if you want to get through the game really quickly there's like one build that you can use, one or two. There's, you know, in Dark Souls 2, for example, everyone listening is going to hear me say, you get the greatsword, and then you just run through the game. You know, you do a strength build, and that's how you beat the game. Okay. In Bloodborne, you can use the, the first trick weapon you get, and you're good to go. Yeah. So you, you fall into kind of a rut. But what's so cool about Elden Ring is that because it, it rewards the exploration, it kind of gets your creativity flowing and you want to try different stats to see, oh, that's a really cool weapon or that's a really cool spell. Maybe I'll put some more ability points into my intelligence so that I can try out that spell and see how it works. Exactly. And it gives you just enough openness when it comes to your character design um, obviously a huge character creator, which is completely insignificant as soon as you plop on a helmet and you don't yeah. see your face ever again in this game. But it's still fun to make a character. It but it fun. actually had me uh, properly, even though there's really, for a long time, nothing that you really know about yourself and your own character, um, except for that you wake up in a cave and you just go out in the world and slaughter beasts, basically. Um, but the, the cool thing about it is that opened the door for a bit of role play for me because I really mm. felt like I'm developing and growing as a samurai while I was playing and I realized like I had before already experimented in the direction of implementing some magic because I've, I thought being a samurai is cool, very dexterity focused, hmm, but 
I'm a little bit of a dumb fella, you know? My intelligence <laughs> stat is so low. <laughs> and then I saw all the amazing things that you could do with magic. And I learned over time, okay, so I can basically buff up my intelligence stats a little bit. I can use a staff. I can become a magic samurai, which you and me have talked about it as well. You basically told me that this is actually a build that people do. I thought it was just my intuition to go in that direction. But it's actually very interesting that so organically you come to these conclusions and if you want to, then you can do it. It might take some time, but you can do that if you want to. Yeah. And I think the the role-playing aspect is so fun because there's so many quests that depending on your build, there I guarantee you there will be at least one quest, one quest line that feels like it was made for your character. Yeah. And what a what a cool thing to be able to do in a game with so many different possibilities. One one thing I want to mention too because we we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Horizon. Um Horizon has a lot of different items and weapons and you feel we were talking about how you can kind of feel overwhelmed. Elden Ring has a lot of different options too, but your build can become so specific that you don't feel overwhelmed at any point. And I think that that's a hard tightrope to walk where you you don't feel like you are compelled to try different items or kind of go off of your chosen path because there's so much you can do within the path you've chosen. Like, for example, stuff on Magic Samurai, that's, that's a really specific build that will allow you to try out a lot of different cool things without feeling like you're missing out on the game. Yeah. Hard, hard balance, I think. At the same time, I will never have, like... I will never swing the great a great axe and I will not be yeah. someone who fumbles around a lot with faith because if you try to buff up all of your attributes at least in at the time span that I have played then it's going to feel like a waste because you you have to really buff the attributes that you're good at already in order to get strong enough to defeat some bosses and make progress but I find that comparison to Horizon very apt here since Horizon kind of tries to persistently encourage you to try this, try that. Whereas Elden Ring, El this is interesting. In Horizon, you have one character and you've got, mm. you can build Aloy in different directions, of course, but eventually you're going to unlock everything anyway and you, she can use all the weapons pretty much immediately. Um, but it just feels kind of shallow because it doesn't really make much of a difference. Whereas in Elden Ring, the decision of whether you want to try this sword or that sword, whether I keep my katana or whether I put a staff in my hands, that makes the world of a difference when it comes to how I approach combat and how I have to, because otherwise I won't be able to make progress. That's very enticing. From Software has really mastered, I think, the just try it mentality because they give you an, just enough to say, don't you think this would be cool? And if you go down that rabbit hole, guess what? Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it is cool. And the exploration yeah. of this world that we're currently gushing over is mm. even made more amazing by your horse, which you can summon, your spirit steed, Torrent, which is a very apt name. <laughs> for, yes. Also, isn't it funny how uh, they, they completely... They completely... But I, I, my idea is that they put that in there to get past pirating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elden Ring Torrent. You're going to see the horse whenever you look for it. You're going to yeah. Google Elden Ring Torrent and you see a lot of pictures of this 
horse that is also at the same time kind of a goat. It has like goat like kind of a goat horns, um, and bat like ears. I don't know. I have no idea. My goodness. <laughs> Wait, do bats yeah. have ears? Oh God. Oh yeah. And now we're getting off track here. But <laughs> in any case, it is cool because a simple thing like we complained about lacking features of convenience, but then torrent comes along. And by the press of a button, which you can, by the way, freely configure because you need to blow your spirit steed whistle and you can put that into any item slot that you want, you summon that horse and you're immediately on it. Yeah. Typical issue from Horizon, you summon a mount and that creature will then, it takes like a couple of seconds before it comes running at you from some kind of random direction and then it will be somewhere nearby, which is all of this obviously more realistic in quotation marks but it's just so cool that i can just immediately be like okay horse and there it is <laughs> on the horse yeah and it can it can double jump i mean why but cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, it really does just encourage so much of the exploration i think that's really the 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 through line of all of what we're talking about is that this game encourages you to play it however you want and this is something that i wanted to touch on because i mentioned earlier the kind of get good mentality of from software games that i've always despised it's always something that has driven me crazy because in my opinion these games are difficult but they're not they they're not unfair they've never been unfair there have been moments maybe where you say this is BS, but I think that you you get over those pretty quickly because it they have so much of their roots in classic Nintendo games where you just have to keep trying. That's the point, is that it's not so much difficult as it is. you It, it requires you to learn how the game works. And so this whole idea of the, you know, you just have to get better, while that's objectively true the mentality behind it has always been if you can't play the game you're not good at video games and that's always bothered me and i think that elden ring is flying in the face of that because it's saying there is no one way to do it we recognize that there have been our games in the past have had maybe one or two builds that really sail you through the game and the other builds are maybe more challenging to you but in this game, it really feels like they said, however you want to play it, however you want to play your role in The Lands Between, we will make it so you can beat this game and have fun doing it so that you don't have to compromise what you're, how you're playing it, which is a huge testament to From Software and also, I think, uh, a little bit of a cheeky slap in the face to people who gatekept these games for so long. Yeah, please, because... This kind of gatekeeping, this kind of elitism is just ridiculous. It is yeah. this kind of feeling where imagine you go to the gym and you've never been do you never did a proper workout before. You go to the gym and then this while you're struggling with your 15 kilograms, I'm from Germany, so I'm calculating kilograms. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're struggling with your 15 kilograms, and then this buff gym dude comes along like, hey, you can't do it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just it's want to get out of here with your spaghetti arms. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's exactly that. And I, I think From Software, From Software with Elden Ring has become the, the guy in the gym who comes up to you and says, 
hey man, I'm, I'm worried about your back. Um, can I show you how to do this correctly <laughs> so that you have a better time? <laughs> it will show you your limits. And this is important. Mm. It, it kind of, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like a gym trainer because it, it identifies clearly your strengths and your weaknesses and it points your weaknesses out as well. You come, you go through Elden Ring, you go through the tutorial and you kind of feel like, wow, I can really handle myself in this world. And you open the gates to the actual world, you go 20 steps and you're immediately slapped all over the place. <laughs> yes. They make a point out of that repeatedly uh, in several occasions throughout the game because sometimes you just need that kind of slapping so that you feel grounded and that you feel like, okay, so I really must focus as I explore this world. That's what makes it so interesting that you know, even though this, you know, ambush from somewhere behind a corner, it can sometimes get a bit old because you're like, of course, I, you know, yeah. I, I should have yeah. known, should have seen that coming. <laughs> but you, it always keeps you on your toes. You never run through it easily, just like when you're going to the gym and you're doing your workout, you should never just, you know, zone off and just do something that will eventually hurt yourself and hurt your own body. Instead, you want to be focused on what you're doing. And the same thing goes for Elden Ring. I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, it's, it's rare that video games nowadays get me so excited to talk about them. And I think that Elden Ring is one of these games that, um, I, not to get, I don't want to get morbid or morose or anything, but it's one of these games that has reaffirmed that I love video games. And I love when one of those comes along because, you know, I play a lot. I play a lot of games and it's rare that I complete something and want to go back and keep playing it. And the cool thing about Elden Ring, even as we're talking about it, I'm thinking about different builds that I want to try and go through the lands between again. Oh, that's a perfect thing, right? When you when you stop playing a game, but you still think about it. When you when you stop playing and you go for a walk or you lay you're laying in bed before going to sleep and you're still thinking about that game and all the things you want to do next and how awesome that is gonna be. Just two brief things that I want to mention uh to buff up uh Elden Ring a little bit more is that mm. I love that um, that it has this kind of attitude of show don't tell we mentioned this tangentially already but just as an example that i found very striking so in elden ring you can get invaded by other players other players can come into your world and then their task is to kill you and instead of explaining this in some kind of tutorial thing they just give you a fake invasion of a character that seems like it's another player but it is not and also someone who joins your own game as a cooperating player and fights with you against that seeming invader. I love this idea because you just stroll along. I had no idea that this would happen. And then suddenly it's like your game has been invaded by and you're like, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just delicious. It's a perfect way how to introduce a mechanic without giving you a huge text box to read. It's something that, because I think I know the encounter you're talking about. And that is something that as a as a FromSoft veteran, you say, okay, I'm, I'm being invaded, right? But I think about it as someone who hasn't played a game like this. What a perfect way, as you say, to show, don't tell. Because then you know you're never really safe. Somebody could come into your world at any point, and maybe you'll have someone else to help you, but odds are maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's so engaging. And something that I also really love, I must say, is its humor. 
uh, from <laughs> software always had a wonderful sense of humor, which sometimes gets overlooked amongst all the creepiness, the grim environments, and so on. But they have always been funny. And yes. in Elden Ring, I think it's really like comedic gold, partly. There's, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's one thing that, one encounter that I really loved with Alexander the Warrior Jar. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This was something that was already in the marketing material. But it's basically like a jar, a gigantic actual jar with arms. And it's like, I am Alexander the... <laughs> <laughs> That's how it speaks. People yeah. call me Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> you love him immediately. You love him immediately. It's so delightful. And I think this is crucial. Elden Ring, its greatness comes also from the fact that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Too many games take it themselves so seriously and there's no yeah. humor in it. And in Elden Ring, it's just it just cracks you up when this just so casually happens. There is a moment in a wonderful boss fight where it's one of the most cinematic things that From Software has ever done while not being locked into camera angles and things like that. It's not actually scenes. It's just it's a very epic battle. And there's a long-standing From Software character uh, who shows up in every game except Bloodborne, I'm pretty sure. And you're able to summon him. And what he does is so in character for him and so funny that uh, it, it's maybe my favorite part of Elden Ring is the comic relief <laughs> moment in it. And I won't go into it because it's really something to be experienced, but if you know From Software games, and honestly, even if you don't, what happens is still hilarious. So it's, it's a game with so much character in so many different ways. I thank you for pointing out the comedy because I laughed out loud multiple times in Elden mm. Ring. Yeah. It, could it be that Elden Ring is just so vast and so fantastic in so many ways that we could talk about it for much longer and still would not come to an end of singing its praises? It's like we already went quite over time with this segment here. Yeah. And we have still not touched upon some of the like crucial aspects, like the way players interact with words on the ground, which is also very typically from software. There's nothing all too exceptional about that mechanic, but it integrates very meaningfully in the world of Elden Ring and many other different aspects and detail, especially things like the story, the lore we have praised, but we haven't really gone into much of an analytical or interpretive uh, glance at it. This is something that we might have to save for the future, maybe even when more people have actually finished the game so that we could do something like a spoiler cast, maybe when I'm through as well. I think that would be worth it because we we spent a lot of time talking about the world and the gameplay. Uh, we could devote just as much time to the story, the themes, the characters, and I think that would be worth it. So maybe we come back to it once you've finished and we can have a nice chat about what Elden Ring is about. <laughs> yeah. What Elden Ring is about. Does it give you, without uh, giving anything away, does it give mm. you enough like analytical meat to dig into and to like think about it in, a, in an interesting way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say uh, that's, a good, that's a good teaser because uh, we could go twice as long, I think, with the amount of... It's not, it's not just a fun game. It's got a lot to say about video games and about avatars and narrative and 
all kinds of beautiful things that we we love to dig into. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Nice. Okay, so let's let's keep that on the shelf for now. Uh, I have to play through it first, and then uh, we'll <laughs> see. In a couple of weeks, uh, maybe we can go ahead and do a spoiler cast. I always think these spoiler casts make the most sense when people have already played through the game. Otherwise, nobody yeah. wants to listen to anything that basically just spoils stuff. So if, you, if you've been on the fence about Elden Ring, take this as a huge endorsement from Studying Pixels. Play Elden Ring, and then in a few weeks, when you've all played it, we'll talk about the story. We'll do that. And in the meantime, while you are quickly finishing Elden Ring, <laughs> we're going to go <laughs> ahead and do some side questing. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In our side quests, as you know, we venture through the internet and bring you stories and articles that we find interesting and relevant. We also talk about our own impressions of games we are currently playing and you can find all the links that we reference in the show notes, of course. Number one, a game has ended. The number one chart hits for Elden Ring. And that game is none other than GTA V. <laughs> ah, I feel like I've heard of this game before. Ah, this game, GTA V, this is the kind of game that is actually quite old we're talking about it was released in 2013 so this would be nine years old wow and it's now this kind of game that just 
you know, just is like an old person that dresses up as a teenager, <laughs> you know. <laughs> How do you puts, do, fellow kids? Its, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it puts on its cap backwards and is like, mm, I'm super edgy, you know. <laughs> Want to rebel against your parents. <laughs> oh, and man. The thing is, yeah, GTA V released on PS5 and the Xbox series on March 15th. And it actually topped Elden Ring in the digital charts. I assume that this is a one-time phenomenon just because many people, or so I imagine, would just download it because they had pl played it on previous console generations. And I think it was also free for the first couple of, of weeks. I think it still is oh, free, Okay, as far as I'm aware. Uh, GTA Online, I'm talking about, is right. free. Um, because that's the thing. GTA really lives on GTA Online and... This week, this has become more clear than ever before as Rockstar Games announced a new subscription service. Oh Beautiful. Boy. Yeah. GTA Plus, which is exclusively available on current-gen consoles, so PS5 and the Xbox series, it costs you five US dollars per month, and it's a subscription specifically for GTA Online with some cosmetic additions, and some gameplay benefits. For example, you get, I think, 500,000 in-game dollars every month. You get some outfits, some cars, and so on. These benefits that you receive for GTA Plus, they are switched out every month, mm -hmm. like in the case, like is the case for many uh, subscription services, and you can basically claim them in-game. Wow. What a move. What a flex. I am... I'm just stunned because the thing is, I respect that Rockstar Games wants to make money. I, I, I understand that they are making a whole lot of money with GTA Online. Like, this game has been going strong for, as I said, nine years. And yes, they, they, I, if, as far as I'm aware, there are microtransactions in GTA Online, which makes them so much more money than the single-player campaign ever has. But now... When they come and they say, we want even more money. We want, we add a subscription service to this nine-year-old game to hook people, kind of. And it just, to me, stands, it just shows me that GTA has, by virtue of its online component, lost all of its meaning entirely. <laughs> it, I always felt like GTA was kind of a satire of of capitalism, and of course it is a product of capitalism at the same time. I, I acknowledge that. But now they're going into a realm that is like EA-style level of squishing players for money, and I think that's just terrible. Yeah, it doesn't... Uh, I mean, this this feels like something that would happen with a newer game. Like, I almost wonder, Stefan... If this, if GTA Six were announced and this were part of GTA Six, would would it be as egregious? Because it seems to me that the really crazy thing about this is I I didn't really like when you said nine years I was taken aback. This game has been going strong for nearly a decade, and to introduce this now, it almost feels like well we're gonna do this because it's easier to get money doing this than it would be to put in the time and effort into a new title. That's how oh, it feels. Yeah. Yeah. My worst fear is that they are putting in the time and effort to develop a new title because they're such a huge studio. They're doubtlessly working on it. 
and they will release GTA 6 at some point. My fear is that this will not be the end of GTA Plus because they would be profoundly stupid <laughs> if they would end GTA Plus when a new game comes out. Yeah. Of course this is going to continue and it will be some it will be some kind of attractive thing so that it hooks you maybe you will get a discount if you're a GTA Plus subscriber or whatever you can carry over in-game items to GTA 6 online or whatever it will be but in any case it for some reason i find it just not very appealing that GTA Online now also has an additional subscription that wouldn't have been necessary for a game that you can purchase at full price already. Yeah, and I fear that you're I fear you're right. I fear that this is maybe they're introducing it now so that it's just part and parcel with future titles that come out that or, yeah. yeah, or even even more so. Maybe that's the more likely possibility because they have kind of detached GTA Online from the the single player mode, right? You can right. download GTA online separately for free. And maybe this is going to be the thing. Maybe there is not going to be like a GTA six online. Maybe it's just going to continue to be GTA online and it's going to maybe shift a setting. It's like a new season sort of where it just carries over. And maybe the online component will just be a free to play title. I could imagine that. Like a Fortnite kind of situation where they just keep releasing new uh, content? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they did that. They expanded on GTA Online so significantly. And maybe it is maybe not the... Maybe it's a smart way to go. Because for mm -hmm. me, I, I enjoyed GTA Five um, for its story and for its world and for its uh, satirical comments and partially cynical, but also... I'm not, I wouldn't say that it's a, an entirely cynical game. Like I heard a podcast recently where GTA V was talked about and the overall tone seemed to be that it's a very nihilistic game. I don't think it's nihilistic in a sense that that really matters. It's actually it implores kind of strong virtues that stand in contrast to the virtues that currently are practiced right. in, uh, in, in the US. So yeah, I, I'm going to, uphold my passion for gta but i'm gonna say that i jumped into gta online briefly after i had finished the gta 5 story mode and i was immediately repulsed by what was going on there <laughs> like, can you imagine there's a way in, in gta online you can trigger a mode like a peace mode so that other players can't attack you because i just i just want to like you know browse through the stores and do some role playing and you know dress up my character and play some golf. That's what I want to do. Maybe sometimes even shooting other people a little bit. But what <laughs> happened, even though I was in peace mode, yeah. then people do th such things like they drive towards you with their car, then they jump out of the car so that the car runs into you, uh. and then you're being kind of killed by an object, and it circumvents this kind of peace mode thing. Or they, they trap you somewhere in a store, just park the car so that it blocks the door. And I thought, it's like, how obnoxious is that community? I don't want to be a part of this. You know, there is <laughs> there's something profound in GTA V. The story mode is heavily satirical and, and get, gets you thinking about these themes and, you know, these problems in the U.S. And then GTA, GTA Online unironically shows you those yeah. things. <laughs> With no satire. How can you take that seriously? Yeah. It's 
it's just strange. It's just strange. I think I understand that they want to make money, but I do think that uh, GTA Online has been has over the years just been completely uninteresting. I respect that there are other people who enjoy it very much. I assume that you out there might be enjoying it uh, for one reason or another. But I do think a lot would have to change before it could entice me back into it. And one of the things that definitely does not entice me is a plus subscription. Yep, I think it's it's one of those things where it reminds me of Steam and how... Do you remember when when Steam first sort of started... There was all of this backlash because people were saying, well, now Valve never has to make another game. And that kind of feels similar to me <laughs> with this, where, all right, well, they're going to make money hand over fist and maybe they'll put out new titles, but technically they never need to again. And that's a shame. It makes GTA 6 and the main entries in the series a side business to what they're actually doing, which is an online service game that is probably going to be free to play with a subscription model and microtransactions so yeah i mean uh, who knows what might what might come to pass i'm still curious about gta 6 and i'll have mm. profound respect for rockstar games because red dead redemption 2 is one of the best games that have ever been made yeah and they've always i mean yeah they've always put out quality games so i won't write them off yeah. but it, it does leave a bad taste in your mouth a little bit it does number two what have you brought speaking of bad taste <laughs> <laughs> no no i i kid so i it, it, last week we talked about final fantasy and the origins of the game and and square and all of the wonderful stories and we hit on something you hit on something very important that is final fantasy is at its heart a romantic series there is a lot of wistfulness and emotion and it's a very aesthetically beautiful series. And I jokingly said, Stranger of Paradise does not seem to be that way. <laughs> mm. But I've played it. I've gotten the platinum on it. And I will say that it completely turned my expectations around. This, oh, really? Yes. This game is getting a lot of flack online because of how silly it is. And it is very silly. But... The way that the game ends is something that maybe, uh, maybe I just wasn't, I didn't have my analytical cap on because it is a silly game up front, but the twist at the end of the game gave me such pause that it, it made me very emotional in a way that a mainline Final Fantasy game would. And so I want to just say, uh, it does take a long time to get there, but I had such a beautiful experience with Stranger of Paradise to the point where it made me feel the same way that a, a mainline Final Fantasy game would. Especially, honestly, it did, it did something that surprised me, which was it gave me the same feeling of, of hope and compassion that Final Fantasy I did back when I played it as a kid. And for a game that has utmost silliness at its core for the first 15 hours of the game <laughs> that is a wonderful surprising thing so i had oh, it does live up to its name it does and it is it, again I, I really don't want to spoil it because i feel like it was a twist that i just did not see coming um and it was but not in a not in a not in a rug pull kind of way where it doesn't feel earned 
It's one of those twists where going back and playing it again, you see all the pieces and it's so satisfying when it happens. And I think it gives, we talked a lot about how Final Fantasy is a very empathetic series as well. And it engenders a kind of empathy in these characters that if you were to, if you were to tell 12 year old Dan, Hey, you're going to feel empathy for these characters. I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, um, we joked about them in yeah. the last episode. We joked about Jack and Jed. Jack and Jed, correctly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. But it's it's cool because it shows, without knowing what the twist is and without wanting to know, because mm. I might still play it. I do think your impressions they indicate that the studio that worked on Stranger of Paradise really had a profound understanding of the series after all, just like they did with so many other games that they made that would tie into different series. Yes, I would say, so I, we mentioned, so Koei Tecmo created- Koei Tecmo, the, yeah. Yes. Sorry, in, I just forgot the name. No, you're fine. We, they, they created this in partnership with uh, Square Enix and directly with Tetsuya Nomura, the kind of, the current head of Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. Um, and it, it, it keeps up the track record of understanding the source material and really telling a story that feels as if it belongs in that universe. So the other examples we brought up were uh, Age of Calamity, the Hyrule Warriors game, and Persona 5 Strikers. Both of those games are technically, they're kind of pseudo-sequels or prequels. Age of Calamity is kind of a prequel. Um, Persona 5 Strikers is a direct sequel to Persona 5. And they have such a profound understanding of the characters and the world that it's it's a feat, I think, to Koei Tecmo that they're able to understand that and still make a really fun game around it. Because you'd think it would be one or the other. You make a fun game and the story is kind of you know coincidental. But these games in the past few years that they've been putting out show a deep understanding of the source material in a way that enriches those original games, I think. Really outstanding. And... I would say the gameplay in Stranger of Paradise is pretty repetitive. Uh, we talked about how that was a problem we were thinking That's of. That's their shtick. Yeah, it is their shtick. <laughs> uh, and it's, let me put it this way. I mentioned Neo as kind of the precursor to this game. It is not Neo. <laughs> it is a lot simpler. It is a lot more streamlined. It's a lot easier, to be honest. And it doesn't reward the kind of complexity that Neo did. So very repetitive. That did not change. I would say if you're a Final Fantasy fan, it's worth playing because it is a very emotional experience towards the end. But if you were just looking for a fun game to play, I think you'd get bored with it, especially because the silliness is really over the top at the beginning. (laughs) You just gave me an idea for another episode that we could do, by the way, because (laughs) I think... It deserves so much credit and often gets overlooked that a studio such as Koei Tecmo has a profound capability to understand a series and the source material and then to make something and run with it. Not just make something to that resembles it, but make something that is that thing at its core and mm. transforms it or makes an interesting point with that. This is really difficult because essentially video games are always imbued with some kind of artistic vision, right? Right. Hopefully. (laughs) Not all video (laughs) games 
but most. <laughs> Some, well, a few. Let's say a couple. Let's say two or three. <laughs> enough, enough to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is that to be able to understand that to as a as an artist or as a team understand what makes a series special and to turn that into something of significance is so interesting that I think we should do an episode on the best spin-off games that are basically not made by the original studio yeah. but are by such studios like Koei Tecmo they do this set they do this almost as their main business, right? Neo has been Neo Two has been a while, and yeah. they really went to and focus on bringing their basically Dynasty Warriors formula to various different uh, series and franchises. Yeah, and I think more power to them because their uh, their track record has been really stellar with it, and I think they're they're proving that they put a lot of time and effort into understanding that original game. So. Yeah, I think that would be a great episode. And Koei Tecmo is, I, in my opinion, the leader of the pack when it comes to these spinoff games. Really good stuff. Okay, I put that, I put that on the list for future episodes. Thank you so very much for listening to this show. If you are curious about studying pixels, then I would highly recommend that you go by and visit our website, studyingpixels.com, because if you, it's like we put a lot of effort in this in this website. Uh, it has this beautiful function that, for example, when you when you call it up on your phone, then you can swipe through the re most recent episodes at the top, just like with your thumb. It's really cool. And if you scroll down, then you feel like a featured guest section, and you can learn a little bit about us, about the team. You can go to an episodes section where you can sort through by, let's say topic so if you want to only focus on academic episodes which we've done quite a few then you can listen to those if you only want to listen to culture or review or interviews you can sort by those categories and of course learn a whole lot about uh, about stu- i was about to say gta plus <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh, how terrible of them to do a plus yeah. subscription hey, we should talk and if to you somebody. want to <laughs> And if you want to, you can get some Studying Pixels Plus. (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for today. Uh, We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.